And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. NFL training camps are opening up. Major League Baseball is back, and the NBA and NHL are on the way, and The Athletic is offering big savings to help you enjoy the action. You can get 40% off an annual subscription, get unlimited access to breaking news, in-depth stories, and expert analysis on what's sure to be one of the most enthralling seasons in sports history. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and story Storytelling that sets the athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast, you can save 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back and you won't want to miss the breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Can't Wait Podcast is back. It's Monday morning, July 27th. We all managed to get up for this one. Uh, We're going to have more on Jamal Adams, the trade, of course. We had the emergency podcast on Saturday. Make sure you check that one out, but we'll get more into the aftermath of that trade. And, of course, a very strange season is getting ready to get underway with training camp and players reporting this week. We'll get into what all that means, and we'll look ahead to what a 53-man roster for this Jets team may look like as well. So a lot to get to. Tim McMaster along with Connor Hughes, Marissa Morris doing the producing. Thank you if you're joining us live on YouTube. Connor, we're a little later than we thought we'd be recording, but but we all made Every it, time, uh, and we're all we're all caffeinated now. I can't say I can't do it, man. I swear to God, like I I, I woke up today, like I was out yesterday. Um, for, for, I was I saw my sister yesterday for her birthday, and we were having like this great time. We were swimming in the pool, all this fun stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I, like I, 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 we get home, and it's like 9 o'clock p.m. Like, it was 9, 10 o'clock p.m. It wasn't like a late night where you were out till 2. And I fell immediately asleep. And for whatever reason, when I go to sleep early like that, I always wake up ridiculously early. So my fiance is a nurse, and I literally beat her waking up for the morning shift. So at 4 o'clock in the morning, I was sitting on our family room couch watching TikTok videos because I was wide awake and could not get back to sleep, and she comes in the like in the family room, like she wakes up to go to the to go to the hospital and looks at me. She's like, "What the hell are you doing awake?" And I'm like, oh, "I don't know. I can't sleep." I was like, "I got the podcast in a few hours. I might as well just do that, and then I'll, I'll take an afternoon nap." I don't know how I went from like being wide awake at four, five, and six o'clock on my couch to basically waking up at the last second when Marissa called me, sleeping through all of my alarms, and looking down and then just seeing like. Incoming call, Marissa Morris, and be like, oh, shit, like, oh, it's time to wake up. Uh Uh-oh, bad news. 
Rent, but this I got ready. This was after after three get up texts. Like, yeah, after uh, three get up texts. After you texted me yesterday to be like, hey, you know, we have the podcast tomorrow. What do you want to talk? I was like, oh, that's right, I do have the podcast tomorrow. I was like, oh, I set your alarms. Up. Yeah, it was, and the fact I'm still ten minutes late. Like it's it's just amazing how I do it. But we were joking about. I said I was like, I'm I'm powered today by uh, Super Coffee, even though not a sponsor. But but I'm I'm gonna work on on knocking that one out of the park and eventually having that one done because this stuff is like, <laughs> you guys Shark Tank people. You guys are you guys like watch Shark bit. Tank? Yes, I'm well, a huge I'm, fan. I am a huge fan, Marissa. That is like Bree and I will waste countless hours on two things. It's it's anything dealing with Guy Fieri. And then Shark Tank. That's that's how I spend my time. If it's not writing or watching sports or golfing, it's Guy Fieri or Shark Tank. And these people were on there like promoting this company. They actually, I forget the name they originally had, but they switched it to Super Coffee. And I love it because it's like it's it's caffeinated. Obviously, it's coffee, but they have protein in it as well. So you can use it. There's only like 10 grams of protein in here. So it's not going to be like a crazy huge meal. But if it's like a wake up, you don't have time to like do a huge breakfast. Just do something quick. I grab one of these because you get the it's only 80 calories. You get 10 grams of protein in you and you're rocking and rolling after it. Like, I freaking love them. You can get them at Costco, too. So we buy them in bulk, throw them in the fridge. I swear they're they're I'm, I'm going to I'm trying to be a brand ambassador. Every you're like a NASCAR driver pack. right now. I might all, uh, yeah, getting I got all the, the brands hat. in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got the Monmouth hat in. You guys are going to see me on the next one of these podcasts. I'm going to have a, a uh, what is this called? I'm going to have a super coffee hat. I'm going to have a, a, a Costco shirt and like a shark tank tattoo on my arm. I'm going to be ready for it all. Oh, I can't wait. All right. Let's get time to, for training camp. Yeah. Yeah. Just in time <laughs> yeah. for training camp. Yeah. All right, so I, I mentioned it. We talked about Jamal Adams on Saturday, but the grades are in, um, and the grades have been overwhelmingly good for the Jets. I think I saw an ESPN like a B plus, but our Shield Kapadia here at the Athletic gave the Jets an A minus for the trade. He gave the Seahawks a C minus, and just kind of going through Twitter as well, Jets fans seem to be like they love Jamal Adams. They're not happy he's gone, but like they see the hall and they seem to be okay with the Seahawks fans. I saw were. Fairly unhappy on Saturday, which doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But yeah, I saw some some unhappiness and and saying like, why are we giving up all this for basically what we've talked about a a safety and and the value of a safety in the NFL and what it means. Um, so um, overall, J- Jets win the trade, but that doesn't mean anything. I think for the 2020 team because they're not going to be as good. So I thought that'd be a good place to to kind of jump off. Um, Adam Gase now has to keep his job through 2020, Connor. How does he do that without Jamal Adams? Well, I look, here's the thing, and, and, and we've talked about it, is that the Jets are very much not a better team today than they were 48 hours ago. If my, uh, it's early. Like I said, I only woke up like 20 minutes ago, so don't test, don't test this math. Uh, trade went down on sat on Sunday, so whatever time yeah, we're Monday. It's so Saturday. It went Saturday. down on Saturday. Whatever. Yeah, like, uh, when when the Jets traded Jamal Adams, like we'll go with that. Um, the Jets are not a better team today than they were before they traded Jamal. Like Jamal Adams is, and and you can yell at him for being a prima donna. You can blame blame him because he acted kind of like a petulant child the last couple of days, and he went from team first to me first, and all these things, all valent, all warranted. I mean, he he completely changed the type of person that he was, the type of person that I thought he was as a team leader in his attempts to get traded out and, and leave the Jets. Um, but with all that being said, he's still a damn good football player. You know, he's not as good in coverage as Ed Reed was. 
Uh, he's not as good in in, in you know against the run as Rodney Harrison was. May, maybe about as good, but but I don't think he's as good as Rodney Harrison was. I think Rodney Harrison was a little bit better. Uh, not as good or anywhere close to as good of a freelancer as Troy Polamalu was in in Pittsburgh, but he still does a little bit of what all of those guys do. And when you just put him on the field, he's a game changer and he's an X factor. I mean, that's what he is. He he's a big hitter. He can he can rush the quarterback. He can play the run. Uh, he can go man to man with guys. He can, he's not really great in zone coverage, but when you move him all around, you don't really necessarily need him to be great in man coverage. So the Jets were a better defense with him on the field. You don't just replace that level of production. I mean, at one point last year, I'd have to bring up the story again for, for all of the statistics that, that he led the Jets in. But this was a guy that was leading the team in like tackles, tackles for loss, sacks, forced fumbles, fumble recoveries. And he was like second on the team and pass breakups and interceptions or something absurd like that. I mean, he was he was a difference maker for the Jets. But what we've always said, and, we, and we've said this as long as potentially trading Jamal Adams was was a pot seemed like a possibility after the deadline is that the guy still just plays safety, you know, and, and despite the fact that the guy still just plays safety, he's also a guy that. Since he's been on the Jets roster, they're 16 and 32. So, yeah, they are a better team with him, but they're not a Super Bowl contender with him. They're not a, a, a um, playoff. They're not any. I don't think their their playoff chances took any huge, huge shot with him not out there as opposed to, you know, if they had lost Sam Darnold. You know, think about the Jets last year, right? You know, they went seven and nine. They went one and seven those first, or they went, they won one game when Sam Darnold was out with Mono. Uh, they came back and they won that that game, or they 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 didn't win a game when Sam Darnold didn't have Mono. They then they came back, he beat the Cowboys, and he lost a few more, and they started the season one and seven. If you had had a healthy Sam Darnold for that beginning portion of the season, and not Jamal Adams, if Jamal Adams was the guy who had Mono and they lost him. For the first, you know, for a month of the season, and then even when he came back, he wasn't totally the same. If those roles were flipped, I can guarantee you the Jets win more than one game. I mean, I think the Jets probably would have started the season maybe two and three, or three and two, or maybe they could have even been four and two, or something like that. When that first portion of the season, if they had had a fully healthy Sam Darnold, because you know we can, this is just kind of we can go on a huge tangent over this, but you know, like even when Sam Darnold played the opener with Mono. Even when he came back against the Cowboys, he was still not the same player. You know, he wasn't the same player uh, that he was when he came back from Mono compared to all these. He just it wasn't he wasn't the same player yet. It took him probably another month, even after he was still able to play before he started to be Sam again. If he had been the guy that we saw in training camp the whole first portion of the season, the Jets are going to win more games than what they did without Sam and with Jamal on the field. So there's only so much of an impact the safety has. So it's going to be tough. It, to, to replace that production, but I think the Jets can still have a serviceable defense when you talk about Ashton Davis getting caught up to speed. You know, the rookie the Jets draft in the third round, he's somebody who has immense flexibility. He's a better player than Jamal Adams in coverage, but he also can do some of the other things Jamal did. You know, he in when he was at Cal, we talked to him after the draft, he played linebacker, cornerback, nickel cornerback, free safety, and strong safety. So he has immense versatility, and he also returned kicks. So he has immense versatility. He has a lot of versatility, and I think that will help the Jets. And then got back Bradley McDougal. This is a guy who, again, he's nowhere, He's nothing like what Jamal Adams is a player, but he's a serviceable starting player, maybe slightly above average player when he's really on and he's healthy. So the Jets have the pieces to still have a fine defense, 
And I don't think that losing Jamal Adams is like this huge blow to this team where it's like, oh, now they have no chance of making the playoffs. They're going to have to get more creative to have success on defense. But I think Greg Williams is is the defensive mastermind to maybe try to find ways to do that and uh, still get the Jets to a position where they can compete for that uh, extra wild card spot, extra wild card spot that now exists in both conferences. And obviously that'll help Adam Gaze. Yeah, we have to remember, too, that, that they did that last year as far as the defensive surge late in the season, but they never had C.J. Mosley or Avery Williamson really all season long. So, like, They're maybe you're not up. as good in the in the secondary, slightly worse in the secondary, but certainly the linebacking core is going to be better, and maybe that defense is overall better because of that. Yeah, exactly, and, and, and that's where they're going to have to kind of, again, like I said, it's going to take Greg getting very um, creative to do it, right? Because yeah. Jamal, a lot, like... Jamal didn't really he didn't always play safety for the Jets like they allowed him the freedom to freelance in a way that's similar to what the Steelers did with Troy Palomalo and that you know he was near the line then he was back deep then he was playing linebacker then he was rushing off the edge like they were doing all those things they don't have a player on the roster right now that can do all the things that Jamal Adams did you know they kind of have a bunch of different players that they can now try to make do what Jamal did so they can come out I don't think they're not going to run three safety packages anymore. I think you'll have Marcus Mays back as your center fielder. That's going to happen. You can rotate uh, Bradley McDougal now as a more traditional safety, and then you can kind of use Ashton Davis to move all around as your like X factor, athletic freak, you know, freakish guy. You also have the linebacker they signed from the Ravens, who his last name I still can't pronounce, Patrick Awuznar. Awuznar, I think that's how sure. you say it. Like I, I got I, I, I was actually about to say, oh, I'll just ask him when I see him in person, and that's not happening this year. <laughs> So yeah, ask him on the Zoom weird. call. Yeah, that, yeah, that's pretty much what we're gonna have to do. Like, yeah, Pat, how do you say your last name, my man? You know, so that's kind of what I'm gonna have to, to basically say to him. But um, he's somebody who can he, you know, he played next to C.J. Mosley. He kind of did that, but he had some success in Baltimore, both in coverage and rushing the passer. So I think that what you're gonna have here is, is like I said, Greg is going to have to get creative to fill that void on defense. But if C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson are back. I think you can make the argument that the Jets defense, if everyone's healthy and they don't have any like massive injury, you might be able to make the uh, the argument that the Jets are a more complete team than they were last year because they were playing the vast majority of that season with Neville Hewitt and James Burgess at inside linebacker. The jump you get with a healthy Avery Williamson and a healthy C.J. Mosley is significant. I mean, C.J. Mosley is one of the best inside linebackers in the NFL. It's why the Jets gave him $85 million. I mean, they 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 did that for a reason. The guy's a hell of a football player. So you'd be able to put him back on your defense. You're basically, because he played three healthy quarters for the Jets last season, you're basically saying, hey, a difference between the Jets' defense right in 2020 and 2019, well, you're getting a uh, all-pro linebacker, all-pro Pro Bowl linebacker back on your defense. And aside from that, you're getting – Avery Williamson as a change from Neville Hewitt, uh, Neville Hewitt or James Burgess. That's a big difference for the interior of that defense. And yeah, Jamal Adams is gone. That's a big difference. But you're going to try to mask that difference with Ashton Davis, Bradley McDougal, and and then you know Marcus May. Maybe will try to assume a larger role and do some different things because he's not. He can do more than just play center field. So I, I think it's it's going to be uh, different. The Jets' defense, I don't think is is better than they were obviously because you lost a player like Jamal Adams you lost your best player but I don't think that this is like a crippling blow to the Jets 2020 chances like I don't think it's like oh well hell playoffs off the table now man throw everything off like I I don't think that's the case I just don't 
Yeah, the pressure was always going to be on the offense anyway, and that's that's Geese's mm-hmm. thing, so we'll see. All right, let's take a break to talk about Manscaped. Fellas, are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? We know Connor's ready with his golf bod this summer and, and the amount of time he's been able to get out on the links. The beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes must be tame. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. This third-generation trimmer features skin-safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. You can also adjust settings to get a length you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. Subscribe to the Perfect Package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free Free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer brief. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. All right, let's get to training camp a little bit. And this is going to be um, a slow start to this whole thing when you look at the plan this week. And and this stuff came out late last week. But just to lay out this week, which normally would be, you know, players reporting to training camp and let's get going. We're on the field and, and you're covering it, Connor. Instead, there's this acclimation period. So this week, there's yeah. two rounds of testing. Starts Tuesday, then more testing Thursday. Once players get two negative tests, that means that they can actually go in and get their physicals and get equipment. So they can't even do that stuff until there's two negative tests, which makes a lot of sense. So basically, they'll be going to um, the facility, getting tested, going home. And during that time, doing meetings via Zoom and doing the sort of thing that they did earlier in the summer, which is only so productive. So then after that, after people are cleared and ready to go with equipment, eight days of strength and conditioning, and that'll be followed by four days of non-padded practice, and that'll get us up to about August 17th. That's where the first padded practice can happen. Teams will have 14 padded practices, no preseason games. So this is going to be just incredibly difficult, I think, to judge talents and all of that stuff. And then there's the factor that, and we'll start here, um, rookies that were drafted have yet to be on the field with their teammates. So this is going to be a first chance, basically a week from now, for rookies to actually in person get to meet their teammates. Um, How does this impact, I guess, first of all, every team's different, Connor. How do you think this setup impacts the Jets as opposed to other teams? Well, I I, I mean, it impacts, I think the Jets are a little bit, there, the Jets are on the half of the side of the. It, it's 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 almost it's not a poison pill, but it's a huge blow. Yeah. This entire pandemic has been a huge blow to anyone that has a new coaching staff. Because right. think about it, like when you have a new coaching staff, or when you have even just even take even the Jets, like you don't just like kick into high gear in training camp. Like it's like oh, training camp's here now, everyone gets going. No, you have weeks and weeks of the off season conditioning program of. I think it's it's the first two phases of the offseason conditioning program, like OTAs, which are voluntary, but still the vast majority of players other than one or two that are in a contract dispute show up. The first few weeks of that, they're just lifting. They're just lifting. They're just running. They're going through walkthroughs. They're not like it's it's conditioning. Like And then after the first two phases of that is when you get to the on-field OTAs. And then at the on-field OTAs, that's when you basically play like two-hand touch football where there's no pads, there's no hitting. 
but you're still have 11 on 11 team drills. The offense is running plays against the defense. The rookies are getting acclimated. The undrafted rookies are getting acclimated. They're getting the playbook. They're running the playbook. Then training camp begins. You have a couple practices to start training camp without pads. Then the pads come on. But before you even get to these training camp practices, you still have organized team activities uh, in terms of the first two phases of OTAs, which are off-field stuff. Then the third phase, which is on field, then a full week of mandatory minicamp, then players get their summer break, and then you have training camp. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, there has been none of that. So you haven't had a chance for new coaches to put in their offense. For the Jets, uh, who, yeah, Adam Gase is back, the offense is back, a lot of the key offensive players like Sam Darnold and stuff are back. But you also have an offensive line that is, aside from Alex Lewis, potentially looking at four new starters from last season because Makai Becton was not here last year. Connor McGovern, the center, not here last year. Greg Van Roten, not here last year. George Fent, not here last year. So you have all these guys that not only need to learn Adam Gase's offensive playbook, not only need to get repetitions in the offensive playbook, but you have all of these guys now that need to uh, develop a chemistry with one of other with, with one another. And, and you saw the massive blow that the Jets offensive line endured last year when uh, players like Brian Winters and um, Kelvin Beecham and Kalecio Semele, all those guys kind of dealt with injuries. Ryan Khalil signed late. And literally the first time that the Jets offensive line saw a game snap together was week one. The first time that the Jets offensive line practiced together in its entirety, all five guys, was leading in to week one. And you saw the impact that it had where there was just no chemistry on that offensive line to begin last year. Then players started getting hurt. Players started getting banged up, and and everything went to hell because of that. The Jets are kind of having to deal with that a little bit in a way this year because they haven't had all of that off-season work, all that OTAs, all that stuff to develop that chemistry, to get on the same page, to all this stuff. So they're dealing with all that. Obviously, every other team that has a brand-new coach, the Giants, an example with Joe Judge, I mean, he hasn't had a chance to, to even, like, see any of his play. He's a brand-new coach without a chance to have any on-field work. So I think the Jets are at less of a disadvantage than teams that have first-year head coaches. But the Jets are still at a disadvantage because of how many moving pieces they have. The defense should be fine because a lot of the defensive players are returning. Even Avery Williamson and C.J. Mosley, who didn't play last year, they still went through all of training camp with the Jets. They still went through all of OTA's minicamp. They know Greg Williams Avery Williamson didn't obviously get as much time because he got hurt in the preseason against the Falcons, but the secondary, they'll be able to catch up quick. That's not really that big of a deal. The defensive line is basically all new. Uh, they're just looking for guys that are going to take expanded roles. I think the biggest issue that the Jets are going to face with this type of a season is that offensive line. Is yep. The offensive line is going to go from having no OTAs, both conditioning and just gelling with each other, no OTAs in terms of once the OTAs get on-field work, no veteran minicamp, and then going into training camp. And I like the way that the NFLPA and NFL came together with this ramp-up period, where basically I think it's until, uh, what is it, August 14th. I think it is like basically, I know you have all the tests, but you're, you're basically conditioning up until August 14th. And I think August 16th is when you can be, uh, begin padded practices or you can begin on-field work, like, act, like aside from just walkthroughs. August 16th, I think, is when you can actually do that. Um, that's one where I think that's the smart move. But because you need to get these players conditioned because, again, they haven't been in the building since baggy day of last year. And all of these free agent signings and draft picks have never been in the building. Um, I think that you need that ramp up period, but it is going to put a lot of teams at a disadvantage because you're just 
you're missing time. And, and that's why, like, when we go back to, like, the old CBA, and you, you can talk about it, Tim. Like, when you look at NFL teams now compared to before the last CBA, because when I was a kid, I remember going and visiting training camps and, like, going and watching training camps as a kid. And there were two-a-days. So, like, I remember my dad would take us and my mom would take us when we'd go up. And my mom was actually the bigger football fan than my dad was. And I remember going to like these these training camp practices and you would go to like the morning practice and then we go out to lunch and then you go to the evening practice and it was two a days. And like you would realize that, yeah, it was grueling and it was tough and it was a, a, a you know what on the players. And I know why the players hated it because it was it had to have been a living hell. But when week one came, those guys were ready. I mean, they had they had the offense down. They had the chemistry down. They were physically already in football shape. They were ready to go by week one. Ever since the new CBA came out where they eliminated two-a-days and they cut practices in half and they did all these things, you, can no long, you can't practice as long as you used to. You obviously don't have as many practices as you used to. You don't have as many padded practices as you used to. All these things changed. The difference is that now when the season begins, it usually takes like two or three weeks before, okay, now players are back in football shape because they didn't have that practice time as before. Well, this is now like that to the nth degree. It's more than the two-a-days. It's more than what it's been. You might not see teams really hitting their stride until week six, seven, eight of the yeah. regular season, potentially after that, just because of the sense they haven't had the chance to gel and they obviously haven't had a lot of on-field work at all. And this is, to, you know, we're talking about players gelling that we know are going to be part of the team. But what about the guys that would earn their way onto a team in the preseason? There's just none of that. And and with limited practice, it, it really makes it tough for those uh, free agents that were signed after the draft or any fringe player is going to really have a hard time making a roster. And how do you even okay. go about impressing coaches in a Zoom call? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know, man. And that's like that's good background. That, you got to like, have a really yeah. good background and be on time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Marissa. Thank you. Yeah. No, like that. No, it's true though, man. Like think about like Robbie Anderson is the one that I always go back to, where he when he showed up in as a Jets rookie, as a Jets undrafted rookie at a Temple, the dude couldn't do anything more than run a go route. But you saw in rookie minicamp, which was when it was just the rookies. And and we always say, like, you got to take rookie minicamp observations with a grain of salt because half of these guys are playing basically against guys that are not going to have a job in three days. Once rookie minicamp's over, you're never going to hear of this offensive guard again. You're never going to hear of this corner again. It's just it's basically just a chance for your draft picks and your undrafted rookies that you know you're going to keep to get on, like, kind of get a basic understanding of the playbook before OTAs and minicamp started. Well, even in that situation, you saw Robbie start to tear things up with his speed. When OTAs then came, it was the same thing. He wasn't great in OTAs. He wasn't great in minicamp. But those reps that he got in OTAs and minicamp transferred through to tra training camp and eventually the preseason. And the preseason is where Robbie really earned his earned his way onto the onto the roster. I mean, you gotta you have training camp stars that come around every now and then, but you want to see them play in the preseason, have big performances in the preseason. With no preseason, it's like where are you going to see that? I mean, I, I don't know. I got I to gotta make a few calls to kind of coaches to kind of figure out how they're going to do it now, like how they plan on evaluating these guys, because I have no idea. And evaluating gonna... other players yes. from other teams from exactly. their film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, that's the thing. It's like how, how you – I have no idea. Like how are you going to evaluate the undrafted offensive guard that you signed when there's a chance that you never actually see him on the field. Like I, I just, I have no idea how you're going to do it. I think you're going to see a lot of really talented rookies. A lot of guys that probably deserved spots on 53 man rosters, not get it just because they don't have the tape. And the whole thing that this actually goes back even further 
to the NFL draft where so many of these kids never even had pro days. They never really even had combines where they could have truly impressed. You know, the, like we, we talked about this during the draft, guys, where the GM goes to scout the 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 top tier player from this school, you know, from a smaller level school where they were like, oh, we know this guy can play. And three of the guys jump out on him. They suddenly go back and watch their film. Like, we think that kid can play. And they sign him and they put him on the roster. And all of a sudden he has a long NFL career. Those guys never had pro days to be able to do that. So uh, it, it's it's an unprecedented offseason. I don't know how they're going to do it. It's certainly a challenge that I'm glad I don't have to face because I don't think you can evaluate these young kids when they haven't really had a chance to, A, develop within your system, B, get acclimated to the NFL, and you have no idea who's going to be good or bad. I mean, you're going to rely pretty heavily on the players that you know what you've got in them in those veterans. All right, and once everybody is working out and things, there's also still going to be a lot of protocols in place. Uh, certain teams will be allowed to have up to 90 players, but they'll have to split that up and be using separate facilities or separate times. For instance, the Giants are in a good spot because they can use MetLife Stadium and their practice facility. The Jets don't have that. So it's otherwise, it's 80 players on the roster. And this is going to yeah. be really interesting because teams also, Connor, have to make the decision of should we always have a quarterback quarantine because what do you do? If you lose a quarterback at some point or two of your three quarterbacks in the room go down, you need that third quarterback uh, to be able to play if COVID-19 becomes part of this. And and this all plays into news breaking just this morning also from baseball where they're back to playing baseball. But the Miami Marlins had four players test positive over the weekend. And then there's reports this morning that eight more players tested. Now their game tonight has been canceled. I mean, that's the worst case scenario, and that could quickly happen to a football team as well. And the NFL is doing all they can to avoid it. But, man, there's a lot of different weird things um, that they have to deal with, including not. I mean, the locker rooms even have to be spread out more. Yeah. And I think that's that's a, like keeping a quarterback. I think that's the key because you got to find one that you keep quarantined. The question is, like, if you're the Jets, who do you who is that quarantine quarterback? Is it going to be? Joe Flacco, because you think, all right, like if I was Gase, what I would do is I would say Sam Darnold's my starter, right? We're going with Sam Darnold. If Sam Darnold goes down in a game late, you can probably manage with James Morgan coming in, right? Like you can probably manage, like James Morgan comes in, you're just going to run the ball more. If Sam Darnold, if you have a lead, you can nurse it. If you're really getting your butt kicked, like it's fine. The player that you don't necessarily want to have starting and preparing for it is Joe Flacco, because Joe Flacco is the guy where, okay, if we need Flacco to start three games, we believe we can win a game with Joe Flacco. He's a veteran. He's a leader. He's going to know things, and he's not going to make the mistakes that James Morgan, a rookie, would. So if you were to go into the season with Sam Darnold as your starter, James Morgan as your backup, Joe Flacco as your quarantine quarterback, you know you're only going to Joe Flacco if Sam Darnold has mono, and you know he's – or mono – all right, that, <laughs> that box is checked. That Darnold, yeah, you can't yeah, we're get it again. Clear that one. It's the, now it's the COVID we got to worry about. Um, Sam Darnold has COVID. He's out two weeks. Boom. Flacco now goes from quarantine in, and he's now your starter. You know, but what we you don't know is is your what what access does your quarantine quarterback get? Does he not practice right? Because I don't think right. Joe Flacco can just not go from not practicing all season to boom. He's now like your starting quarter. Like I don't think that can work. Or is it, you know, you have your quarterback has it, and then your quarantine quarterback just comes in as like the emergency quarterback behind the backup. Like I don't know how you're gonna do those gymnastics. But I, if it's like, oh, he just he kind of practices off to the side, that kind of thing. But it's gonna be weird. The 90 players, 80 players is another really weird one. Like when I first heard this rule, I was like, oh, Todd Bowles used to do this because when the Jets had 
OTAs and they had everybody at camp. What he would do is he would take the rookies and uh, like the, basically the third and fourth team and they would practice on the far field away from us. And then he would have the starters, the first and second team practice on the field close to us, the media. In hindsight, I think he did that so that we couldn't get observations on Christian <laughs> Hackenberg and rip him apart. Like basically Todd realized this kid can't play. The media want to see this kid play. And if they see what he's doing on the field, they're going to realize he just went like two of nine in team drills with seven interceptions. Like we can't have them seeing this. So let's keep him on the far end of the field. Like let's keep him away from everyone. We always like we always kind of thought that's what he was actually doing. Um, but I think that that would be an option. Like I've seen it work and I see how it works. And I remember asking Todd about why he did it, why he did the two field approach that way in OTAs and minicamp. And he said it just got everyone off to speed quicker that you got this third and fourth stringers got three times the amount of reps that they would get unless they were rotating in. Because usually what you have is like your first team goes, they get a bulk of it. Second team goes, they get a bulk of it. Third team might get instead of 10 snaps, they get five. Fourth team, instead of five snaps, they get three. So this way, at least allowed your third and fourth teamers to get extra reps, extra drills, all that fun stuff. So I think the two field idea works well. But again, the question is, well, how far separated do they have to be? Is this like, okay, you have to go two times? Is this you have to be separated by one football field? Because the Jets can make that work. They have four fields on their practice facility. The Giants obviously are ideal. You can go stadium, like you said, stadium facility. They're right across the street from each other. Jets don't have that luxury. But there is a gap between both of their practice fields. Where, or you can have – can you put one – oh, no, you can't put one inside. So I don't know. Right. It's it's going to be it's, – it's, it's, it is – it is gymnastics. It's it's going to be gymnastics, and it's going to be um, very, very interesting uh, to see how this thing shakes out. It's going to be very interesting to see how teams do it. I don't think that there is any way that it's going to be perfect. It's just a matter of trying to figure this thing out. Especially after the news of this of the Marlins right now. I think yeah. as, as players are reporting this morning – like I saw the Dolphins had Tua walking into the facility. Well, you know, Miami, mm -hmm. that's where, yep. you know, they're seeing crazy numbers of COVID. So uh, yep. it's, it's going to be interesting for sure. And I'm looking at it now, like John Heyman just reported, like the Phillies uh, visiting clubhouse is, quote, being fumigated 50 yep. different ways. Yeah, the, the Yankees Marlins are supposed to go week. there today. Yeah, and so like the Yankees like, are going to be there. But if the Yankees, do you want it? Like it's, this is right. gonna, like, somebody said it, like the NFL is monitored, like the NFL and NCAA are going right. to monitor this cute because they can't play in a bubble so the nfl is like if you're if you're thinking about the nfl right like they're going to test their players every single day all this stuff two players go down it's like okay boom those two players are out the two backups come in there on the covid list but they need to find those players being tested positive instantly like you need right. to know like before you get into the facility okay but then also it's the whole thing is well did you like, I, like how early do you see the positive test because if it's something where you can, okay, I don't have COVID today. I get it on my way home. I go to try to go to the facility and I test positive. Like, okay, you can go home. But what if, you know, I don't know the, the total gap where what if there is like, I contract it. I get test. Like I contract it at 11 o'clock. I get, I get tested at 11, 10. It doesn't totally come through yet on the test. Then I'm in the facility. And if I'm in a locker room, boom, now a whole bunch of people are getting it. So it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how this works. I think the issue is with the Marlins is that with how many damn players just got it, like I just don't think they have the players to field a team right now to to get out there and play someone, which is why their game was canceled. The difference with the NFL is that they'll have a full back, like unless they lose like a whole positional group, they'll they'll be able to put a backup team out there. Right, but I mean, if it can spread this quick among a baseball team, yeah, 
Well, right, yeah, when there's no close. contact. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot yeah. less contact. You know? And the, the thing is, you mentioned testing, you know, contracting at 11, getting tested at 11, 10, obviously just numbers. But then you you don't get tested again until the next day. And then that result doesn't come back till the next day. So within those two days, you're interacting with all these different people. And, and that's lucky game. if the results come back that quick. Right, right. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's very scary for sure. All right. Um, we do want to get to a couple of questions. Before that, though, you do have your 53-man look-ahead roster, which is, I mean, it's always a crapshoot at this time, Connor, but like next level this year, right? Trying to figure out between opt-outs because players can opt out and get $350,000 if they're high risk or 100 150 if they're not risk and, and just not play this season and and still accrue a season um so there's that there's not having the rookies being able to work out everything we've talked about on this podcast how did you go about putting together a 53-man roster for this morning story you know it's funny as i wrote it on saturday so i wrote it before the adams <laughs> trade and all that stuff and and that, that's why like i said i was like God, i was exhausted because it was like i woke up and this is like a, a 1500 2000 word story like it takes a bit to piece this thing together so i was like okay I wrote my column on, on Joe Douglas needs to do something with Jamal Adams on Friday after all those remarks came out. I'm going to wake up Saturday. I know Sunday I'm going to be busy. This thing, our editors wanted these things to run on Monday. So I was like, I'm going to be busy on Sunday. I'm going to get, I'm going to be, you know, knock this thing out Saturday morning, have the rest of Saturday relax. Maybe I'll go to the driving range or whatever. So I wrote this whole thing. And when I got to the safety part it was when I was like, I didn't put Jamal Adams on the roster. And I have proof of it because I tweeted out the graph. I was like, I want to show that I called this thing. <laughs> so I had written like, I, like, I think Jamal Adams is going to be traded before camp like I think that's going to happen I think that this has gotten to the point where Jamal Adams is going to be traded so I did not put him on my 53 man roster I had in parentheses trade and why he's getting traded and of course like I wake you know I finish this I submit it I get in the car to go drive to the uh drive to the driving range and I looked down at my phone and that's when I saw the text message and I'm like well turning around on this one guess it's time to work again but uh it's obviously always a crapshoot with a 53 man roster it's no different than doing a mock draft like you think you know like it's more just the number of players that you have at each position and you can go on and check out the story on the athletic and, and there's the analysis of uh why i kept the players that i kept and why i didn't keep the players that i kept and those type of things but quarterbacks i went with three which was darnold flacco morgan flacco is the interesting one because he's he was pre-covid like he wasn't expected to take part in any of the off-season activities wasn't expected to play in the preseason while he was recovering from that off-season neck surgery so it's like okay well if he's that doesn't re- go along as they hope is he going to be a uh, potential publicist candidate i mean what is it so i right now i have the three quarterbacks i could see that being two if, if flacco's not ready to go running backs i had four which was bell uh gore perrine or a p ryan sorry and then uh josh adams josh adams i kept over trenton cannon was kind of back and forth on what that could be because i think trenton cannon is more special teams value but josh adams gives the jets a burner in the running back which they don't have with speed Running backs, I have, or wide receivers, I have six. Perryman, Crowder, Mims, Vincent Smith, Berrios, and the rookie Campbell. That's a positional group, though, that I think the Jets are going to pick off the waiver wire. I think you'll see them add a veteran, add someone else. They could still sign Demarius Thomas. That's somebody they're still talking to. That's a positional group I think Joe Douglas will try to go with. Uh, tight ends, Herndon, Griffin, Wesco. I had three offensive linemen. I kept nine, which was Becton, Lewis, McGovern, Van Roten, Font, Adoga, Harrison, Andrews, and Clark. I kept nine there. Defensive linemen, I kept seven. The notable cut there was Nathan Shepard. I think, though, that if the Jets decide to go with only three running backs, they could add Shepard because I think Shepard's had a pretty good season. He clearly is somebody that uh, Greg Williams likes, and the Jets like that rotation, But uh, so he could be in there. Uh, linemen were uh, Quinton Williams, obviously, McClendon, Henderson, Franklin Myers, who don't sleep on that guy, uh, Phillips, Zuninga, and then uh, Foley Fadukasi. Outside linebackers were three, which were Jenkins, Basham, and Huff. Only three outside linebackers because Zuninga can kind of flip between the two sides. 
Inside, I kept five, which was Mosley, Williamson, Cashman, Hewitt, and Anu Wasar, Patrick. I know, continue to screw that guy's <laughs> name up. Corners were six, Pierre Desir, Poole, Wilson, Austin Hall, and Millette. Safeties, May Davis, McDougal, and Jackson. And then special teams were uh, Mar, Mon, and Mar, Men, and Hennessy. So those were the guys I kept. And for the reasons why I kept all those guys, just head on over to The Athletic and you can check it out. Yeah, check out that story. Marissa, how about some questions? All right. So last episode, this was asked a ton. So we have to get to it today. Um, this one actually came from Adam Miller on Twitter. But Logan Ryan, Larry Warford, do either sign here for a one-year deal? Yeah, the Logan Ryan one is is always going to be possible because I think the Jets could could use the corner safety help. I mean, he's a versatile guy. It's just going to come down to money. They're not going to pay him $10 million a year. So if he's going to stick or sit out because he wants his $10 million a year, it's not going to come from the Jets. Uh, regarding Larry Warford, I was one of those pr- big proponents for it. The reason why I don't think that's going to happen necessarily is I don't think he fits the mold of what the Jets want. So Adam Gase wants uh, – fast athletic offensive lineman for his scheme to really work. He wants guys at every position from offensive tackle to center to offensive guard to be able to get out and move. Warford is very similar to Brian Winters in that he's a big physical bulldozer. He's a guy that's not going to get out and move. He's a guy that's going to try to run you over. So if that's the type of player he is, I don't think he necessarily fits in Gase's scheme as much as Van Roten would and Alex Lewis because Van Roten and Alex Lewis are two very – uh, athletic players, especially Van Roten. I mean, those guys are extremely, extremely athletic. They can get out and move, which fits Adam Gase's scheme more than Warford because that's why he was let go from the Saints. The Saints let him go because he was more of like a stationary, big physical guy, and they wanted somebody like Ruiz, who I believe is the kid they drafted, who can get out and move. Anything else, Marissa? We're good. Um, what will training camp be like for you, Connor? Uh, it's going to be different, man. So the first couple weeks... It be right where you are right, right now. Yeah, really. So like, so for the the conditioning portion, um, for yeah, for the conditioning portion and all that stuff, it sounds very much like we're not gonna we're not gonna be there for that, if from what I understand. So it's just which makes sense. I mean, the players aren't gonna be on the field; they're gonna be inside. They're gonna be running. Like it doesn't make sense. We're gonna do, I believe it was like conference calls and things like that, and Zoom meetings with the players. Like I think we're gonna get Gase tomorrow at some point to talk to, which will be good to to talk to him about at uh, Jamal Adams and all that stuff. Um. When the actual on-field work begins, I will be at the facility in some capacity. Now, whether that's going to be in like that second-tier media or that's going to be third-tier media, we don't necessarily know yet. We're waiting for the finalization on that just because it's going to be – there's a limit on how many uh, second-tier media can be there. There's very much less of a limit from the third-tier. Like third-tier media, I think you can have like 40 of us there. Uh, You don't have to get tested every day, but you're not allowed in the facility. Second tier, there can only be 10. One has to be like a photographer. One has to be a videographer. Then spots have to be reserved for NFL Network and ESPN. So it ends up being basically like four spots. There's a lot more than four daily beat writers that cover the Jets. So I think right now what the NFL PA and the Pro Football Writers of, uh, uh, Pro Football Writers Association and the NFL are all going to discuss is like, okay, what's going on? And then specifically with the Jets. So once the actual on-field practices begin, excuse me, in mid-August, I'll be at the facility in some capacity watching the practices with observations and all that. What's going to be very different this year uh, than any other year is that it doesn't look like we're going to have any in-person player access. So those like human interest feature stories where you got to see, you know, the undrafted rookie having a good camp and then you write a big feature on him and a big spread. Unfortunately, those stories aren't going to be there. 
But you'll be there bringing all the action anyway. And, and Connor, the best coverage of the Jets you can find, you can find it right at The Athletic. So stay tuned to The Athletic for complete training camp coverage. As we mentioned today, Connor has his 53-man roster predictions up there. If you have a friend who needs a sub to The Athletic, check theathletic.com slash podcast. You can save 40% off a one-year subscription to The Athletic. If you're not already following Connor on Twitter, he's at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Thanks to Marissa for producing as always, and we will be back with you before you know it. We'll be gearing these podcasts up a little more frequently now that we're in training camp. Thanks for tuning in.